Let's imagine the not-too-distant future. You feel more in control of your photos than you ever have before. You look forward to the regular creative dates on your calendar. You're moving forward on that project that means so much to you. You are on fire with inspiration, and you are finally scrapbooking consistently. This is not a hypothetical, it's a real-life possibility. And for the first time, I've created a workshop specifically focused on the problem of consistency. It's called Sparked, and I'm excited to share it with you for free. Visit simplescrapper.com sparked to get access to the training and make this possibility your reality. What I like about putting my own kits together is it's your stash. So you haven't got those random products that maybe you have to challenge yourself to use because you feel guilty if you don't use it. You've bought your products because you like them. Okay, maybe they've gone out of style or you changed your mind. But on the whole, the stuff that you find in your room, you kind of like it. So you should be using it. Welcome to Scrapbook Your Way, the show that explores the breadth of ways to be a memory keeper today. I'm your host, Jennifer Wilson, owner of Simple Scrapper and author of The New Rules of Scrapbooking. This is episode 158. In this episode, I'm joined by Lisa Hausman for a conversation about building scrapbook kits from your stash. Lisa offers tips for coordinating items, as well as advice on actually using the kits you've built or purchased. Hey, Lisa, welcome to Scrapbook Your Way. Oh, thanks for having me. Yes, I am looking forward to our conversation today. There is a, something that I learned about you recently, which I'm kind of ashamed that I didn't know, but we're going to be diving into that a bit during our conversation. But uh, for our audience, can you just share a little bit about yourself? Okay, so I'm Lisa and I'm, I'm British, but I live in Germany. I've been living in Germany for, about, for over 20 years now. Uh, I moved here for love, which is quite romantic. My husband's German and we've been married for 18 years. I am a teacher of business English as a second language, so all of my work is online at the moment, which is quite nice because we have a Corona Beagle who is the love of my life these days. <laughs> I know she's she's the center of all my scrapbooking pages or most of my scrapbooking pages, and because of that, we made a life move uh, at the end of 2020, and we moved out of the city into a rural part of Germany where we're kind of living a dog life. It's pretty good. And I started scrapbooking in 2006. So that's something you need to know. Yes, yes. Uh, that The rural dog life sounds amazing. So. Yeah, yeah I, I'm a real city girl at heart. I've always lived in the city. So this is definitely something different, living in a village, fields just around the corner with the dog can go wherever she needs. And uh, yeah, it's really nice. Well, it's always fun when you have a life transition and you can, the, the memories you're making shift a little bit. So you have new things to photograph, new stories to tell, and even comparisons to share about, yeah. you know, life was like this at another time. And now this is what it's like. Yeah. I think you can see that shift in some of my scrapbooking pages recently. Mm -hmm. It's quite nice. Mm -hmm. So what's exciting you right now in scrapbooking? Okay, so I cheated a little. I've got two things. But the first thing is meeting scrappy friends. I was at my regular group last night, and I just looked around at these wonderful women that I meet every week on a Thursday. 
And I just realized how motivating, inspirational, and just how awesome it is to be around people who think like you. It's a group of friends that I met through my local scrapbook store, through Sylvia at Scrapabilly, and she introduced me to her friends and took me in. And of course, over Corona, we were meeting online for months after months after months. It was really hard. And now we're allowed to meet in person and we do that as much as we can. And that's really exciting me. I think it's totally inspirational to go there, to see the new products, to catch up on what crafty things they're doing, to have a workshop together some evenings. And I just, it's amazing. And these women are fabulous. That certainly sounds like a highlight to your week. Yeah, that's really a highlight. And the other little thing I'm really excited about is stamping. Um, The creative team really pushes me in different ways to try new things. And uh, we've had some challenges where we needed to use stamps. And I'm not a very good stamper. And so I've been doing my bit and trying my best to be relaxed and easy about it. But I have decided to sign up for the Heidi Swap Stamp Society. And I'm going to try and make it a bit more of a thing for me and try and get better at it. And uh, I'm quite excited about that. Well, if it's almost impossible to watch Heidi's stamping videos oh. and not start to get obsessed with it. I know. <laughs> she just has a way with the layering and the colors. And it just, yeah, I, I've, you're not the first guest who has talked about trying to do more stamping to improve their stamping and make it more of a thing because of Heidi Swap stamps. <laughs> so I know it's, it's really, I mean, it's a, it's a two way thing. It's 50% the fact that I've been asked to do a bit of stamping and I realize I'm really not very good at it and I'm not very confident. And then these awesome videos and I just think, Oh my God, I want a piece of that. Yes. 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 Well, I can't wait to see how that unfolds for you. Hmm. Uh, shifting to storytelling, is there a story on your memory keeping bucket list? There is. Actually, on the way home from driving my, my Thursday evening um, uh, time with my friends, I always think about this question because I'm always listening to your podcast. And I always think, oh, what bucket list story would I have? And it always comes back to this cliche of my wedding album. I have a traditional Mm. photo album that took me 15 years to finish. So I'm not very fast on these things. And I haven't really scrapbooked any stories. And there is a story, it sounds a little silly, but it's a jokey story that comes to mind every time. Uh, We woke up on the morning of our wedding and my husband or my husband-to-be looked at me and said, Lisa, I've got cold feet. And my jaw dropped and I was like, what? Oh, no, what? And he said, it's really cold. Can you close the window? (laughs) And I said, you, and there were some few expletives mentioned at that moment. And um, uh, it's a really jokey story, but it kind of sums up the sort of the, the, yeah, the level of our relationship. There's a lot of laughing, there's a lot of joking. And um, that sort of, that's a story I want to tell and I've never told it. Well, and that is a story that has a built-in title as part of it. I mean, I I can just imagine that page unfolding from, okay, how am I going to use these words, cold feet, really big on the page? It's it's really funny. So can I squeeze in a second one? 
Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, we uh, mentioned it before the show, actually. My grandmother will be turning 100 on Monday. And this is a story I have to tell. I think even before anything for my wedding, I need to record the story of my grandmother turning 100. And yesterday she received a birthday card from the Queen. And that is also asking for a layout. And uh, I can't wait to get some details from my mum. She sent me some photos. And I'm going to be making that page uh, as soon as I can. That's so exciting. It's just such a cool thing. I didn't even know it, it was a thing. I like I started Googling it and did some research <laughs> on it because I was just so curious about how that happens and, and yeah. the process behind it. Because I, you know, I was I'm I'm assuming she doesn't sign them herself, but it does look like she creates a new signature every so often. Yes. Because I was looking at comparisons and I'm like, what's well, not the same as it was in these other photos. Yeah. So she must like do a new signature every year. So at least it's, you know, fresh. Yeah. It's, it's just amazing. And in the past they used to be telegrams, but of course telegrams don't exist anymore. So she gets yeah. this really happy, smiley Queen Elizabeth card through the post and uh, we're all pretty amazed and thrilled at this. So That's so delightful. Well, Lisa, I wanted to have you on the show to talk about putting together kits. And so you're not not just one of our creative team members, and you've been on the team for quite a while now. And I just, I love your your feminine details, your beautiful handwriting, mm. you're into like, you know, florals, and it, your pages are always just so like sweet and beautiful. Oh, thank um, you. But you're also leading the team at the Counterfeit Kit Challenge blog. And I just, I didn't know this until I was doing research on, I want to have a guest about building kits. And it turns out <laughs> one of my own team members was the perfect one <laughs> to invite. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty crazy on kits. And uh, yeah, kits is definitely a passion of mine and the whole team. So can you talk about how you got involved with this and what... The counterfeit kit challenge is all about yeah sure so i i had to look up some of these details because the kits challenge has been going counterfeit kit challenge has been going since january 2011 which i think for challenge blogs is quite a long time these days mm -hmm. it was born like i said at the end of 2010 by um from an idea from bethany hardy and meredy twilling i think they're still around in the scrapbooking world here and there so hi to them they came across a post on two peas that was talking about um using your pro using your own stash and they came up with this idea of using a real scrapbook kit club as inspiration to build your own kits from your own stash that you bought because you love it and they had loads of challenges on the blog with um, things to do with your kit, how to put it together, how to create elements, which is where the counterfeiting comes in. So there's a little thing there with forging, which is a joke, obviously, mm -hmm. but forging items for your own kit. And that went on for quite some time. And um, then for one reason or another, they both needed to step back. And in 2016, it was make or break time were we going to close the challenge blog down or should we continue? And I decided to step up to, I'm just the leader of the organization stuff. So the whole thing, it takes a village to run this challenge blog and we have mm -hmm. a whole team and we all take it in turns to run a kit month, uh, manage the blog, interact with the followers and generally keep things going. However, the basics haven't changed in 11 years. We pick a kit, we copy it. We make our own version of it. 
we challenge our followers to do the same, to make their own elements and then to use it. And it's, um, it's quite amazing, actually, but it's, it's so popular with people that love it. They just really love it. I joined in March. Well, I started playing along in March 11, and then I joined the team in October 2011. And basically, I don't, I've hardly missed a month since then. Um, wow. What yeah. a history with it. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And I think there's probably a few people out there that are the same, but I, I might be the longest at the moment. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure whether there's somebody else out there. Uh, but the basics are we have a blog. We, ha- we pick a real kit from a real company. And then we say, hey, this is a great kit. Why don't we try and make our own version? And we all make our own version and we have a hop on the first. And then through the month, we come up with ideas to help people find a starting place for their own kit, which can be sometimes problematic. We have the forgery on the fourth, which is creating your own elements for the kit. So it might be replicating a paper or copying somehow some embellishments or finding some embellishments that match the style of the kit, but maybe aren't exactly the kit printables and things like that. We have a mini kit option. And then we have challenges to use the kit. And then we showcase a follower later in the month. And we also have a kill the kit idea. So it's it's really a whole month of activity. Oh, and everything is on the blog. But we, um, we have a community on Facebook, which is a private Facebook community. And uh, that's where all the chat and the sharing happens. Well, that sounds so fun and just so amazing for being able to work through your stash. Mm-hmm. That's something that's like a top of mind and a goal for you this year. And I think that's one of the big topics, even though we are in this organization creative journey at the time this episode goes live, you know, storage and organization is not just about containing things. It's about how are we then going to use these things? Yeah, definitely. And I think this is a great example of of uh, specific uh, tasks to help you use your stash. Mm, Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm curious with you living in Germany, did part of your initial interest on in joining this team and getting involved, um, did it have to do with challenges getting supplies? I, you know, I I hear a lot about shipping because so much of the scrapbook community is in the U S um, and and what has that been like over the past decade? Yeah, partially, for sure. Um, In the early days, I I definitely got kits from the UK. Um, There were several kit clubs over there, and I wasn't even Mm -hmm. aware of kit clubs in Germany. There were a few, but I I, I didn't really know about them. Um, And I was slowly building up my own stash, and then I realized, oh, I really love the kits over in the US, but you can't order those here because it's just, like you say, too expensive with postage, too expensive with customs. And um, I just thought, well, I want all this. I want all these products, but I can't get them in a kit. So every time I went to a scrapbook store, I would grab anything I could. And I found that I was just piling up the product at home, but I wasn't really doing anything with it. It's the, it's the old thing. It's the consumerism without actually productivity. Mm. <laughs> and so it, it, it was partially because of living in Germany, but also I, I just started liking the idea of pulling product together so that you had a ready-made set of products rather than having to go through all your products. Um, And so I think the two came together. I think the kit clubs started to ease off, the British kit clubs sort of around that time. And then I I had a reasonable stash at that point. And then it was like, aha, I can learn to put it together in my own Mm -hmm. way without relying on the, the American products. 
So could you go into a little more of the reasons why it's it's fun, it's helpful to use a kit, whether it's something you've purchased, you know, pre-coordinated or assembled yourself? Well, I see that there's probably differences between benefits of the purchase versus the assembled. So I'll, I'll just go through a couple of points about the purchase because definitely, even me, every now and again, I will treat myself to a to a kit from from the US. I like the fact a purchase kit, somebody, a designer has put these products together to form a cohesive designed picture in a way. And so the products are designed to go together. You've got, in effect, everything you need to make a layout or to make a project. And I think that's really um, a benefit. You know, the, the papers match the embellishments. And these days with exclusive products like, I don't know, Felicity Jane, Everything in the kit has got exactly the same color scheme and it's absolutely perfect. So I definitely think that's a really big bonus. You've got often the possibility of coming across items that you might not find in your local shop or trying things out that you might not normally pick up and buy. So a kit can challenge you to actually stretch your creative muscles, which I think is quite nice. And definitely for me, uh, it was difficult to find some of the products that I would see in kits. So I think oh, I just can't get that. So um, just trying to think. Mm. I just I totally agree, though, that there are things that I would have certainly never purchased myself. And yes, yeah, some of those things end up not being used. Yeah. But a lot of them I do challenge myself to say, OK, here's this weird thing like yeah. this giant camera or whatever strange shaped thing and I'm like okay how can I use this and how can I use this to inspire yeah. a creative direction for my page and just take it as a challenge yeah um, whereas I'm a, I always talk about how I can talk myself out of anything in my shopping cart and then uh, I end yeah. up buying more cardstock and adhesive and inks and like things that don't require decision mm. and yeah but it's it's helpful to have someone else encourage you in that way. Yeah. I like the fact that a, a, as well a, a purchase kit it arrives at your doorstep, so you haven't got to leave mm -hmm. the house. You pick it up, you take it in, you open it up and use it. Or in my case, in those days, I was taking it in, putting it on the shelf, and admiring it on the shelf and never using it. So definitely, I like the fact that a purchase kit should be you bring it in and you start using it straight away and of course the other thing that i think is really important with purchase kits is the is the design team there's usually a fabulous design team that showcase all these amazing uh, layouts and all the products are used and you can get really inspired by that um, but of course you don't need to just have the kit for the design team but it, it goes hand in hand very often um, and along with that, also, there's a certain amount of community. If you're a Felicity Jane subscriber, you've got a whole community there that, and you're all in it together. You're all making the same products in different in different forms. And I think that must be that's really motivational. As, as far as this, an assembled kit, what I like about putting my own kits together is it's your stash. So you haven't got those random products that maybe you have to challenge yourself to use because you feel mm -hmm. guilty if you don't use it. You've bought your products because you like them. Okay, maybe they've gone out of style or you changed your mind. But on the whole, the stuff that you find in your room, you kind of like it. So you should be using it. You can do whatever you want with an assembled kit. You can break the rules, make them all rules, make an old kit, a new kit, mix it, make something that you wouldn't normally make. And there's no, there's no loss. If you use it, 
if you put the kit together and you don't use it, you can put it back in your stash and you haven't lost any money because you've already bought the products anyway. So I really like that. I think it helps you get very creative with using the products you have. And it can also be a great way to identify the things that you no longer want to use in your own scrapbooking. So it can help you Mm. fine tune your own scrapbooking. You know, when you go through that pile of paper and you realize you never, ever pick out the papers in this area because they don't inspire you, maybe it's time to let those papers go. And I think that can be really um, freeing. Yeah. Yes, I can, I can really see how that lends to doing this repetitively, that yeah. the more you get familiar with the stash, the more you can make great decisions that inspire you creatively and the more you can let go because you have that uh, comfort level with your own uh, style process yeah. and your stash to be able to just say, okay, these things need to go away now. Yeah. I, I remember Shimel once mentioned in one of her uh, videos that she touches her products all the time, her stash. Mm-hmm. She goes through, she'll pick up a bowl and she'll go through it and see what she's got. So she's very familiar with her own stash. And I think definitely I'm pretty familiar with what I've got in my room. I might not have as much as a lot of people or I've got a lot more than others, but i I know what I've got because I'm going through it all the time because and I mix things up and um, I think, oh, right, this month I want to use some old product. And I love it. And I love the fact that you can add stuff into your kit that you would never be able to do with a purchase kit. I like 15 alphas sometimes. I want all <laughs> the I want all the alphas. Well, purchase kit, you're going to have to buy all the add-ons if you want to add all the alphas. And I think uh, so a purchase, uh, an assembled kit it's just you make the rules. And sometimes that's a problem. People don't really know where to start with that. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. Yes, that's what I was thinking is that, you know, the more that you've practiced in this and you've had more than a decade mm. of <laughs> looking at a piece of inspiration, understanding, okay, this is what people, you know, designers typically are putting in kits. And then, you know, even now how to customize that for your own needs. Yeah. I'm curious at this point, is it easier for you to just to build a kit from that point of inspiration? Or is it easier to build a kit from just choosing one thing from your stash and going from there? Uh, I do both. I don't think either is easier than the other. I, I, I don't know about the other. I, I wanted to ask the other ladies on the team and I completely didn't, which is really bad of me. But um, I change it up every month. One month I'll say, right, I'm using this one piece and going from there. And the other time I'll say, right, I want to really make a kit that's close to the inspiration and look through all my stash to find you know the perfect pieces. I think... I'm really comfortable doing both. And I, it doesn't take me long. I pull my kit together in about half an hour, 45 minutes maximum these days. Now, are you pretty much always scrapbooking from a kit then? I'd say 80-20. Okay. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, I love using collections. Um, so if I buy a new collection, I might actually just make that. But um, even if I've got, a hu- I've got a huge kit on the go at the moment for, for more of my beagle photo my beagle layouts and that's uh, that's a giant kit that's not a counterfeit because it's a load of product that I've brought together but I like the fact that I can just pick it up pick up the box and go with it so yeah I'd say 80 20. All right that's fair 
Now, I'm curious if there's a listener out there that really wants to start from scratch and learn how to build a kit. Why do you think using the the counterfeit approach is so helpful? Oh, yes, because we are inspired by companies that put a lot of design thought into their kits. Mm-hmm. And so we're jumping on their expertise and putting our own expertise on it. So we offer them, we give them a kit and then we say, hey, and here are 10 ready-made kits that have already been gone through this inspiration. We, the team, we've looked at this kit and we've made our kits and look at the 10 completely different ways that we've gone with it. And also on the second day of the blog, we also offer a second um, blog post that says, well, this is one idea you could take from the inspiration kit. You could take this paper or you could take this color palette or you could think about oh it's all sunny so think about sunny days and I really think this breaking it down and and the community as well we've got new people coming in and they're often saying where do I start and there's loads of ideas and people say start here start there just pull a piece of paper and go from there and it's um there's no rules and that can be good for a beginner and it can be difficult for a beginner but definitely this idea of taking the expertise that somebody else already has and building on that for your own kit I think that's a really good place to start well one of the things that I've appreciated as I've looked through the kits that you choose for inspiration is that you're choosing both paper and digital kits yes and I'm curious if you've noticed any particular trends that maybe separate what's included in paper and digital kits or other trends that you've kind of just picked up over the years that that designers are using when they're compiling a kit? Well, I definitely think digital kits are usually much larger. So there's many more items in a digital kit, which can be good because then you've got lots of place to go or it can be difficult. And I think sometimes paper scrappers can find inspiration from a digital digital kit a little bit more difficult but we like to mix it up because we know we've got digital scrappers out there so I definitely think that's the main difference I've seen I think the biggest trends I've seen in general over the years is kits no longer includes cardstock more or less so they assume I don't know whether they're assuming that everybody's using white cardstock or that people have got cardstock but very often there's no cardstock the exclusive Um, features of a kit I think that's a huge trend in the recent years the Mm -hmm. other thing I think is that there's less scrapbooking kits out there there's more uh, pocket pages uh, traveler's notebooks six by eight um, memory um, the the Heidi Swap memory diary I can't Mm -hmm. think what it's called memory planners memory planners (laughs) that's it and I think some, I think that's a trend that they're moving away from the standard 12 by 12 scrapbooking kits. I don't know if other people think that too, but um, and I think that every kit company has a very clear identity. I think this is a very big trend. I think in the early days, it was much less easy to look at a kit and know, oh, that's Coco Daisy or that's, you know, um, Hip Kit Club. And these days you can you can see it immediately. The, the, the identity of a kit is very clear today, I think. Well, I think part of that is just the 
I don't, I'm sure there's a, a balance of desire and necessity to go to more exclusively designed products versus mm-hmm. aggregating products that were made by the major manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, you know, that's originally what a lot of the kit clubs were is yeah. we're going to, you know, preview these lines, order things and compile them. And so there were certainly overlaps and it was really what the industry was setting as a trend, but yeah. now there's so much, you know, custom design that it, as you said, it's very clear there's very clear like branding and identity um, for all the different clubs these days. Yeah. Yeah. But that also makes it interesting. Yes, for sure. For, for, for us, it's really interesting because every now and again, somebody will track down a kit club that's uh, old school is the wrong word, but uh, you know, using real manufacturers products and mixing it up and not making it a single collection. And that's like, that's quite exciting. It's like, Oh wow. We're back to 2012. Oh, this is fabulous. Or you would go for a completely exclusive kit where probably people haven't got anything of that in their kit. And then you really have to get creative, sorry, in their stash. And they have to get really creative finding products in their own stash that match these exclusive products that I can never get my hands on. I'm never going to have a Felicity Jane kit. So I'm always going to have to think, okay, let's think outside the box here. Well, that's what I'm curious. Can you give some examples of taking inspiration from the chosen kit and and applying that in a less literal way? Because obviously you could notice, okay, this kit has black letter stickers. I'm going to find some black letter stickers mm-hmm. and maybe they're a, they're a script font. So I'm going to pull a script font. But, you know, how? what are some examples of how we can maybe think outside the box, as you mentioned, and I think that sometimes it's a skill that requires a little bit of development. It, it does. It, it definitely comes with time um, to become less literal. And, we, you know, some people really want to be literal, and that's, that's great, and they match every product item for item. Um, but, yeah, so, for example, I will look at the content list of any kit, and I'll say, oh, okay, so we've got nine papers, and we've got a pack of die cuts, and we've got some um, enamel dots, and we've got some um, ribbon. Okay, well, I don't use ribbon anymore. So I'm going to have some texture. I want some texture to mimic the ribbon. So I'm going to use some string. Oh, that sounds really great. So okay, so string that might be a bit more, a bit more sort of rough and and, and um, sort of a bit more rustic. Okay, so rather than the sparkly enamel dots they've got, I'm going to go for something toned down. So I'm going to match the products but I'm going to take my own spin on those products. So I'm not going to have ribbon. I'm not going to have enamel dots. I'm going to have, I don't know, some, maybe veneer instead of, instead of, I'm going to say, okay, right. So I've got some string and then veneer would be my takeaway for, for the enamel dots. And then I'm going to say, okay, nine papers. Yeah, that's good. So I can take the inspiration from the overall look of the papers and then say, right, I want nine papers, but I want, you know, I want a stripe. I want a dot. I want a, a flower but I'm not going to follow exactly what the kit has. If it's got a loopy alphabet and it's black, but somehow I think, oh, actually black's not going to suit my kit. I'm going to take a loopy alphabet that's pink, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, I've done lots of this and I do go rogue quite often and I'll see, you know, a vintage purple surfing motive flowery kit and I'll say right well I don't do any of these things I don't do purple and I definitely don't surf and I'm not really a beach person but if I tone everything down and I could think okay that's a a pastely beach but sort of autumn beach where I'm walking along the you know I'm walking on the beach with the wind in my hair and so I'm going to have these kind of feel to my kit and it's not going to be purple it's going to be pastel tones and it's not going to be vintage it's going to be 
soft. And so you can, you can take the literal idea and find a way to interpret it for yourself. Mm, I love that so much. And it just, I think that I'm sure is evidenced in have seeing what the team has created because everyone is using their personal lens to Mm. view the example and then saying, okay, this is what I took from it and how I responded to that with making selections from my own stash and from the stories that I want to tell. So yeah, so fun. It really is. And honestly, I mean, we have, I think 10 or 11 kits usually on on the first of the month. And there is no way if you lined all these kits up, you'd think they came from the same origin. But if you look at the origin kit, you can find that in each of the kits. And that's mm. fun. Mm. Yes, yes. So I'm curious what you would typically include if you were building a kit, if you're building a kit, if you didn't have any inspiration, where would you typically start? Okay, so if I didn't have any inspiration, I'd probably start with papers and I'd go for a feeling of the papers I wanted to. Uh, maybe, I'd, maybe I'd start with the idea of what I want to do. The, the feeling I want to have in my kit. So it might be soft. And um, I, then I'd pick usually 10 to 12 papers. Uh, I think that's usually my starting point. I used to start with cardstock with the colors I wanted as a base, but these days I always start with papers. And then I add in alphas and then I add in the flat embellishments. And then uh, and I go from the papers. So I think look at my papers and say, right, okay, what – uh, what alphabet goes with this and what um, enamel dots goes with this. And then I add in all the embellishments. So I'm definitely going to add in lots and lots and lots, as much as I possibly can, because I know that I want good variety of, of that. And I'm going with what inspiring me at the moment. So if I've come back from the shop and I've bought something new, then I might think, oh, I'll throw that pack of embellishments in. Uh, I'll take it out of the collection pack, throw it into my new kit. And I think, okay, I've got something new. It goes with my papers. The colors are the same. I've got an idea that I want something moody and um, summery. And um, that's where I'm going to go for it. Do you ever go shop to complete a kit? Like you've pulled things together and you're like, oh, I just need this one more thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yes, definitely. Uh, I, it usually doesn't happen when I'm making the kit. I usually pull the kit together completely because I'm doing it at home and the shop is quite some way away and I'm never organized enough to do it ahead of time so uh so I pull my kit together and then I think you know what I really need is another alphabet in here so I'll present my kit and that's absolutely fine and I always say my kit my rules I add stuff in as I go through so I my kits are usually used longer than a month and then I'll add stuff in oh I need another alphabet or oh yeah these enamel dots they're not quite the right color so I'm going to add something else in and I will definitely look around the shop and think oh that would be perfect for the kit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the only thing I actually do sometimes, I might glance at the papers and think, oh, I really need some wood grain for my kit next month. And then I'll think, I don't have any wood grain at the moment. And then I will specifically go and pick up two, three, four sheets of wood grain and think, right, I can pick one of them for my kit and then I've got a couple for, for next time around. It doesn't happen often. Well, but it sounds like it helps you shop more intentionally because you're observing maybe what's what's missing from your stash mm. and you are just being thoughtful about your purchases so that you know they're going into something that's going to get used. 
that's that's really that's comes back to this you're touching your stash you know what you've got mm-hmm. and it definitely helps when I'm looking for I don't know the the kit the kit recently had lots of yellows in it and I thought I don't have any yellows and so I pulled a kit together and it was a really beautiful kit and I think I used it um might be on the shelf but I definitely used it during the month but I made a mental note right I want some yellows and I want some navies so next time I'm shopping, I might specifically look out for those or at least keep my eye open in the next months to come because I know that I love that color and I want it in my, in my stash for next time that kit, kit color comes up. Mm-hmm. I love that. Do you have any particular tips for coordinating pattern papers? Because I think this is something that scrapbookers often struggle with. Mm. Well, it's tricky, isn't it? Because white isn't white and... Um, Pink isn't pink, yes. and it it can be really difficult. the The main tip I would go for is to is to think about in manufacturers rather than um, across manufacturers. Manufacturers often have the same color hues or the same color tones from collection to collection. And so, if you really wanted to find a good range of uh, coordinated papers, I might think, okay, if I go to Echo Park there, or, and I go for you know feminine. Uh, collections they're all going to have similar coordinated colors and patterns and they're all going to fit together really Mm -hmm. nicely the same with doodleberg or simple stories so i definitely think going across uh, collections with one manufacturer is a is my main tip but also think about making a color palette online uh, taking one pattern paper and picking out four or five colors, making your own color palette, and then having that printed out in front of you when you're looking for coordinating papers. And I think that's a nice idea. Other than that, I think you've got to think about designs and think, right, okay, um, I'm looking for stripes, I'm looking for spots, I'm looking for, you know, and then then you can coordinate it nicely with the idea of a, a lot of the basics, a small amount of something bold, and a very small amount of something large. And then you've got that coordinated set of papers as well that works really well. So I think there's two or three approaches, but my main tip is definitely manufacturers. Mm, yeah, I agree totally, particularly when it comes to color palettes that they mm. choose. Mm. Um, I would also say that if you can coordinate your papers uh, in company, whether that's in person or online. Others are often really helpful at kind of seeing what you're not seeing of something's not quite working yeah, or you need something with a smaller scale or you have too many different stripes or something like that. And so I think getting a second eye on it. And if you can't get a second person's eye, even just taking a photo of what you've selected can help you look at it differently. Also, you mentioned about white is not white. Even just the simple rule of thumb of if am I going for white whites in my papers or if I'm going for creamy whites, and even that can help you uh, rule out because yeah. there's going to be too much clashing between the two. Yeah, and and sometimes I have a kit that has both, and pe- I always get this. I can sense the sharp intake of breath from people. <gasps> she's got white whites and she's got creamy whites, or oh, and but yeah. That's okay for me because that fits what I do. I, sometimes I'm not worried about that. But, yeah, if you, want to, if you want to match a Felicity Jane kit that's really pure white and all the papers, then you really need to seriously think about, okay, I'm shifting away from the white. I'm going for creamy white, and therefore all the whites are going to be cream. Yeah. 
Well, you know, it took me a while. I subscribed to Felicity Jane for a bit and I couldn't figure out why I struggled so much to work with the products. And I think it was just, it was just too high contrast for me, too much of the white, white, whereas I want a little bit more softness overall Mm. to Mm. my products. Yeah. So, yes, I'm all about softness. I know you are. Do you have any other like rules of thumb that you use when you're selecting embellishments or other products? Like, are you like relying on this like mental thing of I need three of these or I need like this spread of different sizes or or something like that? Definitely. I want large, medium and small for sure. I definitely want to look and think, okay, I can, I can mix these all together and create a cluster. I definitely want things that um, create, dimension and texture that's really important to me when I have my own kits pulling together um I always want enamel dots even if I don't use them and I will go through phases where I forget about something I think I remember hearing you talk about this recently in one of your podcasts about the doilers you forgot Mm -hmm. about doilers I forget about things all the time and suddenly I'll think, oh, I used to do this. And so I will wrap twine on every layout. So I'll make sure I put four different twines in my kit. And then the next one will be, oh, I need 16 threads in my kit this time because I suddenly remember that I want to do bunched up messy thread behind every uh, photograph. But it's, it's, it's the size. I want a mix of sizes and I want a mix of, mix of textures. And then I want a good range of alphabets in different sizes. And all of these things would not be possible if I bought a kit because you just wouldn't get that number of different items in a bought kit. So it's great. I mean, my kits are usually quite large, but we have some girls on the team. They are mega kitters. Um, I know there's been some chat in the in the in the community this last week. One girl she's she's put 33 papers in next month's kit. And I'm like, whoa. Whoa. And she will use it because she is so productive. It's awesome. That's really cool. Well, mm. I, I love that there's a choice. Like, you know, you can experiment with, you know, an average size kit to, to a mega kit to more of a mini or micro kit. That's yeah. just for one page and see what feels comfortable for you. I know mm. I like a lot of variety, so I prefer smaller kits because I can get bored easily. Mm. Um, but others love the challenge of saying, okay, here's all the things. Mm. How many different things can I create mm. with, with this kit? So, And I like cheating. I know that every piece of paper I put into <laughs> My kit has a B-side. And so it could be that I've brought together a kit that I, I love when I make it, but when I pull it out, I think, yeah, okay. And then I turn around and I go, oh, the B-sides are nice. And then it's not the original kit, but it doesn't matter because it's my rules. <laughs> oh, yes, 100%. So um, do you have any additional advice on making sure that you're using the kits, whether you've purchased them or you've built them yourself? Because I see it sometimes happening that – a lot of effort and energy is put into building kits, but then are you taking that follow-up step of creating with them? I definitely think you need to keep your kits in, in sight and you need to not necessarily have a plan, but you need to think about the fact that you've got kits and you need to reach for those kits. And challenges is a great way of doing this. Um, myself and several of my uh, counterfeit colleagues, we do load on a regular basis. That's layout today. And we always say we couldn't possibly consider doing layout today without a selection of ready-made kits. 
because each day you just grab that kit and go. So I do think you need to have it in arm's reach. You need to think about um, joining challenges. You need a plan sometimes. It's great if you if you sort of think, okay, I've got this month and I want to do these layouts and therefore that's what this kit is for. Uh, and the one last thing that I do a lot of is um, – I, especially when I'm doing design team work, I will come up with my sketch, I'll come up with my story, I'll print out my photos, I'll have everything ready to go. And then I'll think, oh, and now I'll pick up a kit and I'll just use it. And it really doesn't matter which kit I pick, it, I'll just kit, pick the first kit. And I've got this, the layout ready to go in effect. And all I have to do is use the kit to make it the layout. I think that's quite a nice technique. Um, there's lots of challenges mm. and, and inspiration online with killing kits. There's lots of people out there doing kill the kit type YouTube videos and inspiration challenges. Um, and I would say, think about, um, cards, tags, mini books. If, if it's coming to the end, do you want to keep it as a kit or do you put it back into your stash? You have to be active with your products and a kit is no different. You have to handle it, manage it deal with it. Well, I like the invitation of kind of thinking creatively as you get to the end of it, or even from the beginning of you don't have to just make layouts from this. What what can I do mm. to use a chunk of the supply that's really fun and fulfilling? Mm. Um, even just choosing from your scraps to punch them all into circles and, mm. and, and put those back in your stash rather than just the, you know, crazy sized bits. So mm. lots of options there. Yeah. Definitely. Fussy cutting is great at the end of a kit. Yes, yes, yes. If you didn't already use all the, the flowers, fussy cutting, what you have left. It's so. very therapeutic. I love it. For sure. All right, Lisa, this has been so fantastic. I am super inspired to use more of my stash this year because I need to start making some decisions about what's going to go away. And that means I need to get my fingers in there really looking at things. So mm. thank you so much. Thank you for having me. We're passionate about making kits, so it's been great to talk about it. Can you share where we can find you online and anything you might have newer coming up this year? Yeah, sure. So I've got a blog. It's lisahausman.blogstop blogspot.com and I'm Lisa in RE on Instagram. Of course, we have the counterfeit kit challenge. We'd love to see anybody over there. That's the counterfeit kit challenge on blog on blogger. Of course, I'm on the creative team at Simple Scrapper. So you might catch me there. And actually, I have my own um, challenge blog that I'm hoping to restart after two years of downtime. So let's see what happens there. It's called Whimsical Musings. And it's layout a day in February. So I'm hoping for a really busy, inspired, challenging month. Oh, sounds terrific. Again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. And to all of our listeners, please remember that you have permission to scrapbook your way. Are you ready to start implementing the great ideas you hear on the podcast? The Simple Scrapper membership offers a welcoming space to connect with fellow memory keepers and find the creative accountability you've been craving. Visit simplescrapper.com slash membership to learn more and join our community. It's the best it's ever been.